This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So we're here, I have been declared to speak to you about couples. And there's a certain, there's a certain kind of couples that that is about. And that is married couples, one man, one woman, one, one. One man, one woman. So I wanna show you, however, that there are some options that we are presented with in the world today. So if you could take a look at the screen. (laughs) Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Second Timothy 3, one through two says, but realize that in the last days, difficult times will come and men will become lovers of self. A few um, weeks ago, I shared on um, follow your heart, which is the deception of this world. The world says, follow your heart, do what you want, do what you feel. But the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Which is it? How many of you want to follow the Bible? That is what we're here for. But the voices surrounding you are so many. So what I want to ask you is, what is the definition of marriage? What does marriage mean to you? And how does God see this? You see, a lot of people think marriage is something different than probably what we believe and I hope it's what you believe I mean what you don't believe I mean I hope the Bible is what you believe Merriam-Webster dictionary defines marriage as the state of being united as spouses in a consensual and contractual relationship recognized by law so let's see another interpretation another example of marriage and how somebody else views marriage. I was sent this several times, so maybe you've seen this already, but this clip shows what a lot of people think of as marriage. Linda Fields. Good morning, morning, Your Honor. Good morning, Linda. This is my wonderful husband. I got the ticket. He was driving my car. I'm not guilty. He is. Let me, expl- let me explain what happened. I, can't I get wait. the ticket in the mail, and I go, what's this? He says, just pay it. I said, what happened? He says, I'm at the corner of Eddie and Dudley, and I turned right on a yellow light. I, sa- I said, you went through a yellow light? He says, yeah. I said, I'm not paying it. We're going to fight this. You have to fight him. Yeah, so, our, so anyway, our son was in the hospital, had a very bad car accident, and he was going there three times a day. So I said, we're going to fight this. So Wednesday, we looked at the video for the first time, and I said, you went through a red light. And so that's where we stand. 
So you came here today to tell me he's guilty. <laughs> I'm not guilty. The ticket's in my name. No, I'm I know. not guilty. No, no, I understand that. <clears throat> I said, you came here today to tell me he's guilty. So the first thing you did was throw him under the bus. <laughs> I'm not throwing myself under. <laughs> you know? So you think he's really guilty, huh? When I looked at that video, if I was a policeman, I would say he was guilty. Guilty. Me, me too. Raise, raise your right hand. <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit close. A little bit close. I want you to assume that you're a policeman right now, okay? Yeah. We're gonna, you're wearing Inspector Quinn's badge, okay? Okay. <clears throat> and you look at the video. And then you look at the time on the video. Let's see the front face sheet, please. See where it says, see where it says red time? She's going to put an arrow there. Point three? It says point three. You know what that means? No. That means he went through the light when it was red. Three seconds? For three-tenths of a second. Oh, three-tenths. So it was close. <laughs> well, you just said he's definitely guilty. I'm trying to explain to you. now. Three-tenths of a second? That's not much. All right. Now, let me finish. Okay. <laughs> You go through this every day? Yes, Your Honor. <laughs> We've been happily married for 43 years, right? Yes, dear. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> when my wife and I meet people, they usually they'll say, how long have you been married? And I say, we've been happily married for five years. <laughs> now, my wife is young, much younger looking than I am. But even though, so they say, oh, you've been happily married for five years. Is she your second or third wife? I say, oh, no, we've been married 50 years. We've been happily married for five. <laughs> but you've, been, you've been happily married for how long? Almost 43 years. 43 years. All right, now I'm going to make you a judge, okay? Okay. Here you are. Can I call you Linda? You don't mind being Linda, All right. that's fine. All right, Linda, here's the deal. You're the judge, and the statute that set up this offense right, allows two-tenths of a second to get through the light, and they don't charge you. Okay. And hmm, I missed it by one. One-tenth. <laughs> and now how, do you, how do you handle this case? It's three-tenths of a second. Do you give him the benefit of the doubt, right? or do you say, hey, three-tenths, pay the fine? What do you do? I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Because it's your husband. And he has to take me to dinner. Oh. <laughs> That's the deal. Well, I have to agree with her, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> it's been my custom. It's been, it's been my policy, in effect. I. Without the city coming in and proving the calibration, I think the difference between two-tenths of a second and three-tenths of a second is so small, right, that I usually, usually give the benefit of the doubt, right, particularly when they come in with some high-powered high defense like you. You don't have to take me to dinner. No, no I'm not going to take you to dinner. <laughs> okay. I've been happily married for five years. <laughs> Matt is dismissed. Linda's husband has found the secret to a long, successful marriage. No, it's not active listening or meaningful walks on the beach or mastering the Kama Sutra. Nope. It's much simpler than that. It's two simple words. We've been happily married for 43 years, right? Yes, dear. <laughs> That's right. The two most important words for a husband to learn are, yes, dear. 
Repeat that phrase every time she stops talking, and you're good to go. Now, how many of you agree with that? Oh, all the women. Okay, that's great. So, this, now I'm talking about couples because we all need to learn more. And if you're single, don't say, oh, this is not about me. Yes, it is. Because if you get married, you're going to have a heads up on things with the knowledge that you have. So anything you learn about relationships is going to benefit you and the people around you. So as Christians, we have a pattern established in our Bibles. And I want to go through some of the well-known but misunderstood scriptures in Ephesians. And I want to ask you, how does God see this? It's not about your opinion your preference, your culture, your perspective, or what your go-go says. Society has different rules. Tradition might even, and your father and mother's marriage might have been different from your friend's father's, friend's father and mother marriage or from your spouse's. But the, our standard needs to be the word of God. No, my mother never did it like that, or my dad never did it like that. That's what you need to be careful of, especially if it contradicts the Word of God. So turn in your real Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. And while you're turning there, we are bombarded with many, many voices and opinions. And there's so much confusion about the subject of marriage, like you saw in the first video. So many confusion, confusing um, opinions. So what is sad, however, is that many people, um, including you, would spend up to five, six, maybe 10 years getting a degree for a livelihood or to specialize in a particular field. But there is very little preparation for marriage in many cases for that union, that role in that union. So sometimes scriptures are thrown around, but there may be little or actual train, little actual training or application that is clear to us. So over the past years, we found many sources and um, people to help. And I want to share some of these ideas with you. So hopefully today we'll get some knowledge and more direction on this subject. How many of you would like to improve your relationships? Anybody like to improve your relationship with your spouse? Anybody like to improve, have your spouse improve their relationship with you? <laughs> Anybody like to see just a general improvement in how to relate? Okay. So, Genesis 2, 23 and 4. Read with me. The man said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Hmm. You all know that scripture? The root of the Hebrew, though, to be joined or cleave to his wife is to follow close. Follow close. Follow hard after. Follow close. Follow close. Men? Do you know how to follow close? We'll see if you do in a minute. So wives, 
Let's look at the role of wives first, because we have a wife role and we have a husband role. And according to society, some of these roles have been changed. But how does God see this? You know, I've been teaching a lot on um, the glory of God in the beginning. In the beginning, how God created man and woman and how some of you have seen some of the skits we've done where there's Adam and Eve and the glory of God. And it departed when even Adam ate of the fruit that the Satan had given them. So they didn't uh, stay within his presence because they sinned and the glory departed. Well, I want you to remember something. Women, you are so powerful. Now, I don't believe in women's lip or what is these women's, uh, what's it called in the women's feminist movement and all that kind of thing. I never did. Even as a child, I, I thought that's weird. I don't know why. But anyway, I understand empowering women. Understand. And empowering men, empowering everyone. However, did you notice that when Adam was in the garden by himself, there was no disturbance of a serpent only when Eve showed up, mm-hmm, he started getting a bit nervous. <laughs> then, when she ate, nothing happened. But when he did, we all died. Uh-oh, I think that's right. I think we need to look at that. So wives, let's just see how this looks to be a wife, according to the Bible. Look at Ephesians 5 in your real Bibles, 22. Start with, we'll start with verse 22. And again, some of these scriptures are misrepresented, misinterpreted, misunderstood. But Ephesians 5 says, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Pages are still turning. It's in the New Testament, guys. Wives, <laughs> be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also our wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So the key role of the wife, according to this scripture, is, anybody know? The key role? Submission. Well, what does submission really look like? Often people think of submission as, woman, you need to submit to me. Iron my shirts. Make my sada. Where's my tea? Or where's my tabuku? <laughs> Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband, his leadership, and help carry it through according to her gifting. Because every woman has different gifting, every man has different giftings. So the wife's role is to reflect and key off of the way the church relates to Christ. How do you relate to Christ? Remember when God said to the woman, you are to be help meet. He didn't mean to help and just serve and be a domestic worker. 
Help means to surround. Help means to protect or aid. One translator put it, to reveal the enemy. So women are to surround, protect, to reveal the enemy. Now men, the focus of the man is focused. I'm focused on my work. Yeah, you're focused on your work and she's behind looking and seeing. The children are falling off over here. The people over here, the finances here, the prayer here, the fine, watching. Hey, be careful of this guy. Pastor Tom just preached a message. Men, listen to your wife. <laughs> Thank you. Now, but wives also, we need to know how to share with our husbands. There's a how to. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I'm really encouraged in this because it helps put perspective on everything that we are trying to do. So as the wife represents the body of Christ, according to Ephesians 5.24, it says, but the church is subject to Christ. Also the wives should be subject to their husband and everything. What does the body get from the head? Subject, if you actually look at the Greek, Subject is not subject the way we think is subject. So do some research and look up the word subjects. And subject in the verse just before that is we are to submit one to another. It's the same word, but it actually isn't in that verse. Anyway, do some research and see what it actually means. It's not quite what people make it out to be. But if the man is the head and the woman is the body, represents the body. It gets nourishment in verse 29. We can understand that because the mouth is the head, the mouth is in the head, nourishment comes through the mouth to the body. So men, open your mouth. God says, open, open your mouth and I will fill it. Let God fill your mouth so that you can nourish your family. What are you putting in here to be the head and the nourisher of the body? It also says that the body or the head, the body should get guidance because the eyes are in the head. So men, because you have eyes, you should be able to help guide the family. With the help of your wife who sees and surrounds and protects, you see, and then it should get alertness and protection. The body should be alerted and protected because ears are in the head. So there's a lot more work in the body because you have arms and legs and things, but in the head, you have the eyes, the mouth, and the ears. So what is the wife supposed to submit to? Let's look at the role of the husbands now. There are two thirds I've heard. Do your own research. Two thirds more instructions in the Bible for husbands than wives. Because I think the head's a bit thicker to get into. 
So let's begin. Go back to Ephesians 5.23. And let's read this. For the husband is the head of the wife. And remember, head now does not mean dictator. It actually means nourisher, protector, guider. He's the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Jesus is that to us. He himself being the savior of the body, the savior. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to, ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. How many homes is the father actually speaking the word of God to the family and encouraging them in the word of God? I see some conviction in this place today. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body so men your distinctive role as a husband is king off the way Christ relates to the church headship is not a right or a command it's a responsibility head is responsible head is responsible to love like Christ and to lay down your life for your wife and your family in servant leadership. One common misconception of leadership means dogmatic, domineering dictator because it's the part of the body, of the whole being that's easy to take hold of. You know, in a wrestling match, I think, somebody told me that um, if you grab the head, you get more points. Is that right? Does anybody know about that? Is it true? You don't know? Any wrestlers in here? Show me by grabbing someone's head. So, here's what's interesting. Instead of headship, meaning dictatorship or, or you know, domineering, it actually means source. Source. Somewhat like we use the word fountainhead or the head of a river. So, to call a husband the head of the wife doesn't just mean leader, but that he has some sort of source or fountainhead for her. She should be able to go to you and you help her meet her needs, find her way, and give her instructions. Now, I've heard many men say, oh, my wife, you know, she comes to me with a problem, and I want to fix it. But she just wants to talk. Anybody hear that before? She wants to talk. Well, see, so it's both. You learn, let her talk. Let her talk. I think, is there some statistic of men have how many hundred words and women have thousands? What is that? Do you remember? Who remembers? Do you know that word? But it's huge. And men, when you realize she's talking, because that's how God made her. 
then it's much easier to sit and listen and be calm. Be calm. Uh-huh. So if head means source, then husbands are called by God to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership and protection and provision. A savior is actually a healer, a preserver, and a protector. How many of you have heard this before? So the call in verse 25 for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her revolutionizes the way he should lead. In other words, husbands don't stop leading, but in turn, turn your leadership into serving, servant leadership. So the responsibility of leadership is not giving to, given to you to puff you up and make you the man of the house, but to make you the provider, the protector, the, the source. So it's all to build your family up. So when sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, it wasn't to, it, it didn't ruin the harmony of marriage by making submission and leadership. It, it muddied their existence and caused it to be perverted. Um, you know, I have, uh, uh, I need seven volunteers or eight volunteers. And I think you might have seen it. Uh, men, men, please. Eight men. My, my cards. My cards? Oh, yeah. And I like to use this example. And some of you have seen it, but you know, wisdom is pounded in. Just tell your neighbor, wisdom is pounded in. And you've seen this before, but you need to see it again. And if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. And you need to see it again. But here's what happened. Scoot down a bit. They can't count. Two more guys. Thank you, Pastor Liz. Oh, okay. Okay. I think that's right. All right. So in the beginning, man was formed. And then the devil came and we were misinformed. And then we became deformed and malformed. We continue to be uninformed and we conformed to the uninformed, malformed, deformed, misinformed, all of us. So what did, what did the Bible say? Do not be conformed to this world. Well, I can tell you right now, many of you are conforming to this world because this is the pattern. This is exactly what Satan wants. But there is an answer. There is a hope. There's a deliverer. There's a savior. There's an understanding. We, the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Be what? By how? By renewing of your mind, Romans says, to the what? Word of God. Renew your mind to the Word of God. So you start renewing your mind, you will be transformed, and then eventually you'll be reformed back to the way and the principles and patterns God originally created us to operate in, and you will be reformed. This is Reformation. 
Thank you guys for your obedient sacrifice. But the thing is, thank you, we have so many voices telling us and we're not sure what is true and what is not true. That is why we constantly will emphasize the word of God. What does God say? What does the Bible say? How does he put it? What is, what is God's thoughts? And I also say to you all the time, well, what do you see? What do you see? Because if you don't know what you're seeing and you just follow the way of the world, whatever's on your iPhone, your iPad, whatever's in the music, you will be dumbed down, confounded, and you will follow the way of dumb sheep or goats. I think there was a guy who said, um, I think it was a Spurgeon? He said, there will come a time in the church when people will be, when clowns will be entertaining goats instead of shepherds teaching sheep. So what are you? My way, Shangu. So sin didn't create the hardships of headship and submission, but it ruined them and distorted them, just made them ugly. So the scripture reference in Ephesians actually guards against the abuses of headship by telling the husband to love like Jesus. Can you say you love like Jesus? Men and men who are going to get married, God wants you to love like Jesus. How does Jesus love? Really try to wrap your mind around this now. It's a challenge. And you don't see it. You know, you become what you behold. You don't see it very often. Well, in fact, I don't know much of where I can show you to look except the Word of God forever settled in heaven. So that's why the coming of the church in, in verse 32 says, This mystery is great, and I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. The church is a mystery. The coming together of a man and woman is a mystery. If you're a man and you're a woman married, you're a mystery. Look at yourselves. Volume bo. Is it all working here? Ha ha ha. Most of you don't even know what that means. I didn't. I would never have known, except for our cross culture guys clued me in. <laughs> so I know someone who thought this was a mystery and this was his advice. Look up on the screen with me. If you want to change the world, do it when you're a bachelor. After marriage, you can't even change a TV channel. And here's another advice. Listening to a wife is like reading the terms and conditions of a website. You understand nothing and still you agree. Chess is the only game in the world which reflects the status of the husband. The poor king can take only one step at a time, while the mighty queen can do whatever she likes. And then all men are brave. Horror movies don't scare them, but five missed calls from wife surely does. <laughs>
what can I say? So marriage can be very interesting and challenging, but God gives us a formula. We have a formula. We've just walked away from the formula. Have you ever had some something and you never read the instructions and you totally blew it? Yeah, we have instructions, but we don't know what they are. And we got them all backwards and we're not following his prescription. So Proverbs 2, 24, turn with me to that. You need to see this because this will be a building block for you. Proverbs 24, now that's in the middle of your Bibles. Those of you who have new Bibles and you're used to iPhones. And circle this and memorize it because it will help you in everything that you do. And this is a formula for everything. But today I want to apply it specifically to marriage. But Proverbs 24.3 says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it's established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. By wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all pleasant and precious riches. Now, knowledge, this is what you must attain, strive for and, and get is information and facts. Get information and facts about your spouse. Understanding is comprehension to be able to mentally relate to the information and facts. The fact about your wife and then can you relate and really understand it? And then thirdly, wisdom is the ability then to apply that knowledge effectively. Everybody say effectively. Effectively. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to understand it. And yet another thing to walk in wisdom with it. So if I said before we can spend a thousand dollars to get qualifications and thousands of hours to get a diploma, degree, doctorate, but very few moments on actually preparing for marriage. How many of you prepared more for marriage than you did for your degree? <coughs> so in this house, we have tried to create a platform for you to acquire knowledge, understanding, and wisdom in community. We ask you to get involved, and there's couples ministry, Roots, Be That Man. I'll tell you more about some of this stuff later. But our story, Pastor Tom and I met. We were engaged in three days, married in three months, moved to Africa in two weeks. In six months, we started the church, and we've been going ever since. <sighs> it's a miracle that we're still alive. It's a miracle that we're still married. It's a miracle that we're still in Zimbabwe. <clears throat> but we say, don't do as we did. Do as we say. You become what you behold, and that is not what we want you to behold. Three days engaged. <laughs> I tell you, it was a challenge to move from America to here. And the problem is, here's what's known. Generally, it's known, especially now, women have a need for love, gentleness, tenderness, and kindness. Men 
have a need for admiration and respect. Can I get an amen? For example, when we were first married, I treated Pastor Tom not the way he needed me to treat him. And he treated me not the way I needed to be treated. So I felt like he didn't hear me, he didn't believe in me, and he came from a very male-dominated family, and he was definitely a man's man. And he was fighting to stay alive in this war here in the 70s, and he was led by faith. And he moved mountains. And he had a big beard, long hair, rode a motorbike. <laughs> and I came from, he came from that male-dominated society, but I came from a broken home with abuse, totally unfathered, neglected. My dad abandoned me. And um, I have, I'm preparing to tell my story one day because some of you have no idea. Um, everybody has a story, but my story is something that people don't understand or believe in, believe if they haven't heard it before, because you think, hey, you know, you have a church, you have a husband, you have a family, but how I grew up, people thought I was deaf and dumb. I didn't even know what to say to people. I didn't know how to speak. I was shy. I was scared all the time. I, my dad wanted a boy, and he got two girls, and he, he um, shaved our hair like crew cuts. People, I looked like a boy. I was dressed like a boy. And I was the big sister to my little sister. And the two of us didn't have any toys. We were so poor that we played with rocks. And our, our best game was to throw rocks at each other. <laughs> I usually won. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and see, you know, it was, it was, you know, like dodgeball. I don't know if you know that kind of game. But anyway. So we'd throw rocks at each other. And so I, I didn't know it wasn't normal, but I just know that my feeling was constantly fear and rejection. And then when my dad left, you know, we found a letter saying, I don't want anything to do with these girls. You know, they're going to ruin my life. So I didn't know what to expect. So I understand rejection. I understand not being fathered. I understand poverty in a big way. But I made a decision that I didn't want to live like that the rest of my life. And when I became a Christian, everything changed. And I found a father in God. I, I, I did never feel condemned by God. I never felt like he was wait, waiting with a big bat to hit me if I made a mistake. Even though I didn't have a father to look at and know what fatherhood was like, I knew that God loved me. Somehow he loved me. And that's the confidence that I've had to be able to stay here in Zimbabwe with all of you people. And the call of God, because I am African-American. I am, I am more Zimbabwean than I am anything else because I've lived most of my life here. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. But anyway, I'll get to that and I'll, I'll tell that story another day. But Pastor Tom was so funny. He didn't know how to treat me. So um, I need somebody here. Yeah, you can come, I guess. 
stand there. <laughs> Pastor, Tom. Pastor Tom, here's what he'd say. He'd say, he'd say, hey, come on, we're going to be late. We need to go. Come on, let's go. And, 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 and I'd go, I'd go, ow, because he'd hit me all the time. Now, because he was with rugged boys, and he'd go, he'd go, ow, schmow, that didn't hurt. Come on. I mean, I kind of lived my first year of marriage in shock. <laughs> because, and he also admitted one day, he said, yeah, I, I looked at you as, okay, I've gotten married. Now what's next? He ticked off his list of to-dos, you know. Oh, my way, Jongu. <laughs> no, don't go away. Come back here. And see, what I needed for him to say, hey, honey, we need to leave in 15 minutes. I can see you're not quite organized. Is there anything I can do to help you? <laughs> okay. I'll be back in 15 minutes, and then we'll go. You know, he didn't know that language. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, he doesn't hit me like that anymore. I just want you to know that. So then, when um, we started the church six months after we were married, and uh, after we moved to Africa, I mean, in, in December when we started the church, I played the piano, he preached. And then afterwards, I'm used to, I was trained. In, in college, in university, I have a degree in, you, you do what's called, um, uh, now I've lost my word. When you, when you, um, huh? What? <laughs> when you re, uh, when you go over the service again, what do you call it? A rare, well, debrief. Thank you. I had that all along. I just want to see if you guys listening. So debrief. We had a debrief, and I was used to that with every concert I ever did, every music thing I ever did, debriefs. And I wanted to talk to him and say, hey, you know, this is what happened at the service. This is what I saw. Here's how we can improve. That was my thinking. But what I would say is um, to him, and, and I should have said, hey, honey, that was really a great message. You preached so good. I'm so excited for next week, you know. But instead, my first was, hey, you went 15 minutes over. You forgot to tell the people about the cake sale next Sunday. Your altar call was confusing because I saw some people who I knew were born again. They got born again again. They came forward. And then you didn't even look at me after praise and worship. <laughs> that was how I was. He hit me. I shouted at him. But I said, <laughs> no, but I, I thought I was doing the right thing. And so did he. You see, totally. So he felt criticized and not respected. And I felt misunderstood, not loved, and not treated properly. Anybody understand? Anybody get a witness? Anybody, anybody have some similar situations? I see a few fingers. Now you can go. <laughs> okay. So, you know, life was, life was interesting. And I had to learn to drive on the wrong side of the road, flip the light switches backwards and forwards, they were the wrong way. And um, I just was so, it was just so foreign. But God's grace got us through, and now we have so many things that we have learned. And we've done a lot of research in the long 
in the in in the recent years, if you think you're burying a person just like you, then you got the wrong person. They're not supposed to be like you. And we all have this thing that we should be going for somebody who's like us, who likes what we like, wants to wear what we wear, <laughs> eat what we eat. It, that's not the case. They need to be different because you are to complete one another. But it's through understanding, knowledge and understanding. We didn't have that knowledge. We didn't have that understanding and we definitely didn't have the wisdom to make this work in the beginning. But we were dedicated to the Lord, we were committed to each other and we pursued our calling here in Zimbabwe. So we had discovered people like Miles Monroe, uh, Jimmy Evans, Kendall Life Languages, and sources like the Gottman Institute, which are all sources we want to make available to you in understanding, um, which I'll tell you about, huh? In a minute. So just watch this right now. Watch this. You're so selfish. <sighs> what an idiot. It's not my fault we're always late. Forget it. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Dr. John Gottman calls these negative communication patterns the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they'll lead to the end of your relationship. In fact, he can predict this relationship failure with over 90% accuracy if the behavior isn't changed. So what can you do? Well, at the Gottman Institute, we understand you might not even know you're communicating this way, or you might not know how to control it. But if you practice the following four research-based antidotes, there is hope for your future. Criticism attacks the character of the recipient instead of focusing on a specific behavior. The antidote to criticism is to talk about your feelings using I statements, then express a positive need. Contempt is an expression of superiority that comes out as sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, eye-rolling, sneering, mockery, and hostile humor. Contempt is the greatest predictor of relationship failure and must be eliminated. The antidote to contempt is to treat one another with respect and build a culture of appreciation within the relationship. Defensiveness is self-protection through righteous indignation or playing the victim. Defensiveness never solves the problem and is really just an underhanded way of blaming your partner. The antidote to defensiveness is to accept responsibility, even if only for part of the conflict. Stonewalling occurs when the listener withdraws from the conversation without resolving anything. It takes time for the negativity created by the first three horsemen to result in stonewalling. But when it does, it can become a habit. The antidote to stonewalling is to break for at least 20 minutes, calm down, then return to the conversation. Spare your relationship from certain destruction. So we discovered and were shared, somebody shared with us this Gottman Institute. It's a scientific um, institute where they actually study, they put things on people's heads and they can understand reactions. Unbelievable. Pastor Tom really likes it. Now they're not Christians, but the scientific study that they have shown in relationships is 100% biblical. It's amazing. And um, these criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling are things that I think you all may do and you understand what you do, but the destruction in your partner is unbelievable and it's actually scientifically 
destructive. So the first one being criticism, it attacks the character of the recipient instead of focusing on a specific behavior. Instead of, you always talk about yourself, why are you always so selfish? That's criticism. But an antidote would be to talk about your feelings and say I statements, express a positive uh, need example like, hey, I'm feeling left out of our talk tonight and I want to vent. Can we talk about my day? Instead of saying, you only talk about yourself, you're so selfish, you say, hey, I feel like you talked too much and I, I maybe needed a little time to talk too. So you turn it back to you rather than pointing a finger at them. Second thing is contempt. And it's an expression of superiority that comes out as sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, eye-rolling, sneering, mockery, hostile humor must be eliminated. The example, you forgot to do the dishes? You are so lazy. And rolling the eyes. Anybody know what eye-rolling? The antidote is treat one another with respect. Build a culture of appreciation. An example would be, hey, I understand you've been busy lately, but uh, could you please remember to load the dishwasher when I work late? Because I'd really appreciate the help. So instead of contempt, this is it. And Pastor Tom and I on, uh, I was critical. Hey, you went 15 minutes over. And he was contemptuous. (laughs) That didn't hurt. You're just too sensitive. Defensiveness, self-protection through righteous indignation or playing the victim. That never solves a problem, just an underhand way of blaming others. Example, it's not my fault we're gonna be late, it's your fault because you always get dressed at the last second. Uh Uh-oh, I hear a few nervous laughs in here. Is that happening? But the antidote should be to accept responsibility even if only for part of the conflict. Example, say, hey, honey, I don't like being late, but you're right. We don't always have to leave so early. I I can be a little more flexible, like a tenth of a second. And the last one is stonewalling. And they've degreed these. They have put couples in uh, like a B&B, and then they wire them up, and they watch how they react, and they can tell within no time if somebody is going to make it or not because of the way they relate to each other scientifically how the brain functions how they they are uh, the chemicals are released in their body due to the behavior of the partner and the worst is stonewalling the very worst they can see that they know someone's going to get divorced in no time the listener withdraws from the conversation without resolving anything This can become a bad habit. Example, look, we've been through this over and over again. I'm tired of reminding you. I'm not talking about this again. The antidote, break for 20 minutes, calm down, return to the conversation. Example being, honey, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm really feeling overwhelmed and I need a break. Can you give me 20 minutes and then we can talk? And then you go calm down. But to actually say, we're not having this conversation. I'm not talking about this again. You've said this too many times. That is a definite relationship killer. So anyway, I want you to see the reaction of a very happy, happy man.
married 32 years and uh, I got, my father gave me one really wise piece of advice before I got married and it's held true for 32 years. On my wedding day, my father said to me, before you argue with your new wife and you're gonna argue with her, before you do, take some time, step back, ask yourself two questions. Do you wanna be right or do you wanna be happy? <laughs> right. And then he broke down and sobbed right in front of me. <laughs> I had no idea what that man was talking about. 32 years later, I can tell you this, I'm a happy, happy, happy man. I ain't been writing 12 years now. Sometimes I even have to ask her, am I happy? Oh, you better believe you're happy. I was just checking with you, buttercup. Call my friends up, I can't go golfing, but I'm a happy, happy, happy man. And don't get me wrong, we argue. You've got to argue in your marriage. You don't argue in your marriage, it'll build up in your brain over time and fries your brain. Yeah, and then you wind up like those babbling, mumbling couples you've seen in Arizona, Florida, these 50 plus years of marriage, they're kind of walking down the street. The wife is fine. It's the poor husband eight feet behind her that scares me to death. This poor man's all hunched over, he's vibrating, mumbling, always telling me what to do. Start telling you what to do. I'm a man, you can't tell. I'm a man, I'm a man. This poor guy's starting to try to win back all the arguments he's been throwing away for 50 years. You know he was 6'3 when he got married, now he's four foot one, look at the poor man. Weighed down by half a century of apathy. Leave a toilet seat up if I wanna leave a toilet seat up. Tell me what to do, I hope you sit in the water every night, I don't care. And that's when she turns around. What'd you just say to me? I didn't say nothing to you. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> you have to learn how to communicate. That's the word, communication. You have to learn how your spouse communicates. That takes time. Men and women communicate differently. It took me two years of marriage to figure out my wife will never tell me to do anything around our home. If Tammy wants me to do something, she'll ask me a question. It's from the question that I gotta stand there and figure out what it is she wants me to do. <laughs> Simple example, say I leave a pair of my underwear in the middle of the bedroom floor, which frosts my wife. That's her word when she's angry. That just frosts me, Jeffrey. <laughs> if I'm not frosting her, I'm driving her up a wall. That's another one. Kids would come in, where's mom? She's up the wall with frostbite, that's all I know. <laughs> You won't believe what put her there, man. It was that pair of underwear in the middle of the bedroom floor. You're looking at the most powerful piece of cotton on planet Earth. So I leave my underwear in the middle of the room. Would she come to me and say to me, pick those up? That's three words. Hey, pick those up. Three words! Would she say no? Because that would be simple, direct, and right to the point. And at that moment, we would be communicating at the highest human level the way God the Creator intended it, through language. She looks at me, looks at my underwear, and then asks, are those yours? I sure hope they are, otherwise I got a few questions of my own. What do you want? That's the only question a man has for his wife. What do you want? Quit talking in code and tell me what you want.
My favorite question, we weren't married two months. I'm leaving the house. I got golf clubs on my shoulder, got golf shoes in my hand, and everybody knows what she asked me. Where are you going? I was only married a couple months. I didn't know any better. I looked at I'm going bowling, Columbo. What you if you're taking notes, that would be the wrong answer. An hour later, I was still in my living room. Come on, tell me, what is this about? Please, let me know, please. I can make the back nine, just let me know. It's about knowing the right answer. That's why, why your beautiful, intelligent wife would ask such a banal question. I know better today. If I'm leaving the house with golf clubs on my shoulder today and Tammy says, where are you going? We'll put these in the car, baby. I'm gonna come back and mow our lawn. That's <laughs> just practicing leaving for golf. He's a Christian, I just want to tell you. That is Pastor Thomas' favorite. Every morning we watch a video uh, of some kind of uh, marriage from J Jimmy Evans or Miles Monroe or <laughs> we watch this guy. And it's his favorite thing and he insisted that I include this in my message. So I want you to know from Pastor Tom to you, laughter too is good like a medicine. <laughs> So I want to um, share a couple more obvious points with you. And I want to show you, first of all, how you may not want to do it. Scene one. Scene one. Scene one. Oh, scene one. Husband comes home late from a hard day at work. He's looking forward to unwinding by watching the soccer match, eating dinner, and chilling. But as he enters his castle, needing respect and submission, when he gets to the door, he's met with, Why are you late? Dinner is cold. I had to feed the children already. You didn't let me know you were coming late. We haven't had power all day. The power just came on and the refrigerator now is no longer working. So I've lost all the food. The maid fell sick. I ran out of fuel looking for medication for your mother. I tried calling you, but you didn't return any of my calls. And I had to call even one of my friends to sort me out. What do you think of this? Well, it's been a long day at the office and at home, so this guy can't handle the intensity. He puts his foot down and he says, I'm the head of this home. You need to submit to me. I had a hard day at the office. You have no idea how hard I work to put bond notes in your purse. <laughs> All you do is nag, 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 nag. You have no idea what I go through to provide for you and the children. Back off. You always whine. I'm out of here. I'm not having this conversation. I'm going to go watch my soccer. He turns away, storms out, retreats to his chair, soccer match, and leaves his wife in a state. <laughs> I, I met a husband when we first were married who came to us and said to Pastor Tom, I want to divorce my wife. She won't iron my shirts. I said, you've got to be kidding. He was serious. She wasn't ironing his shirts and he wanted a divorce. 
He needed to be here today. Scene two. In another family here in Zimbabwe, everyone is having an incredible uh, hardship. The husband comes home late from a long, hard day at work, looking forward to unwinding by watching soccer match finals, eating dinner and chilling. But as he comes to his castle, needing respect and submission, when he gets to the door, he's met with, why are you late? Dinner is cold. I had to feed the children already. You didn't let me know you were coming late. We've not had power all day. And then the power came on for a few hours and then the refrigerator quit working. Now all the food is off. The maid fell sick and I ran out of fuel looking for medication for your mother. I tried calling you, you didn't return any of my calls and I had to call one of my friends to sort me out. But this guy takes her shoulders, looks into her eye with sympathy, tenderness, love. understanding and says I am so sorry that I'm late my battery ran out and we didn't have any power at the office and as I was leaving the boss walked in told me we had to deal with an emergency but it sounds like you had a terrible day too and I am so sorry I love you with all my heart I'm looking forward to it. Be calm, be calm, be calm. I'm looking forward to dinner with you. And maybe after that, let me unwind a bit. And then let's talk about your day. <laughs> be happy. Just stop. Be happy. <laughs> so one of the communication language... Well, languages that happen in situations like this, this is called turning. People either turn to, turn away, or turn against. And this is it's demonstrated like this. People either turn to, turn away, or turn against. In emotional conflict and so to understand this turning you have to first understand what they call a bid a bid is a gesture verbal or nonverbal for some sort of positive connection with your partner you're trying to connect with them bid can be simple or complex represent in a request of a, of a conversation representing or requesting humor affection support simply attention like um, they're pretty easy to spot. Like, how do I look? How do I look? Um, are you enjoying your meal? Uh, can I take the children to school? Or just a simple, <sighs> does everybody know how to do that? Let's everybody sigh. Ready, one, two, go. <sighs> Good bit. Yeah, I'm almost done. Don't worry. Okay. So the nature of a bit is critical to learn and recognize turning towards your partner in a response, a crucial key to successful relationships. Dr. Gottman's research reveals that masters of relationship turn toward their spouses 20 times more than couples in distress. A master of relationship, when you really get it, when you have understanding, knowledge, and wisdom, you get it. You will specifically turn toward. 
In a newlywed study, newlyweds who were still married six years after their wedding had turned to each other more than 86 times, 86% of the time. Those divorced within six years only turned to each other 33% of the time. So the tendency to turn towards your partner forms the basis of trust, emotional connection, passion, and romance. So if you have a problem with any of those, are you turning toward? And when couples break up, it's usually not because of a big issue like conflict or infidelity, but it's as a result of resentment and distance built up over time. So that being said, we know today that the major issue of marital conflict, which includes fidelity, infidelity, in, in our society, small houses, financial issues, and abuse. These need to be dealt with. And if you're encountering any of these, please seek help. Please seek help. Because it's not what God wants. It's not what God wants. And we can't build a strong Zimbabwe if we don't build it on the word of God. And, and it starts with our families. So in addition to turning towards partners turn away or against and those damage a relationship if you turn against or away it can be ignoring the bid rolling over in bed putting your back to your partner disappearing into the newspaper or the nearest TV screen or iPad <coughs> turning against is more violent we can turn against by mocking or pushing against the bitter. What do you want? Can't you see I'm just trying to watch the game? <coughs> Both in turning away and turning against, being equally damaged, the difference is that turning against leads into, into conflict. Turning away leads to disengagement. And the more there is disengagement, the worse it is. So please consider these points for yourself. Take notice when your partner makes a bid, show interest, ask questions. Don't, you know, nod and listen and put away your, your screens. I know Pastor Tom, when we were first married, I would talk to him and I'd say, how come you're not responding? He'd say, well, he didn't ask me a question. So unless I asked him a question, he thought he didn't need to say anything. But if I asked too many questions, I was questioning and he couldn't handle the questioning. So I got confused. Do I ask a question? Do I not ask a question? Do I talk? Do I not talk? Do I expect? Whatever. And, and, and we, uh, we had a, um, a marriage teacher one time, we heard him talking about, when your partner is talking to you, look at them in the eye. Pastor Tom says, but I have to think about it. So he's looking away. <laughs> now he's looking in the eye. Nod your head. And he looked, one of, looked like one of those dogs that go like this, you know. And respond, say, mm-hmm, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> that was so hard for Pastor Tom to do. But he's doing it great. It only took him 40 years. No, I'm just kidding. He said to me, Your, our next 40 years will be better than our first 40 years. I said, oh, wow. <laughs> so anyway, here's the point. We need each other. You need your spouse. How many spouses are here? 
lift up two hands. Oh, well, I mean, eight, one each. I mean, I know you're one, so each lift your own hand. Okay, please. And how many want to be a spouse? You know, the funniest thing, all these cross-culture guys that aren't married, they can't wait to get married. They dream of their spouse, blah, blah, blah. But the number of people who are married and wish they weren't married is more than the ones who want to get married. And I say to the ones who want to get married, look at all these people who wish they weren't married. Why do you want to get married if everybody doesn't want to be married? Doesn't make any sense. But we sometimes have been focused on the marriage. What is it called? The, the wedding. And it is put in our face all the time. And so we think that is it. And it's seven times a day and we praise God for 11 o'clock that we have understanding, we have knowledge, understanding and wisdom today to live our lives in relationships that are pure and that they honor God. So I wanna close with this, but I wanna tell you in the back, you can go and we'll have the marriage couples are set out there. If you have information you wanna know about marriage seminars, um, we have marriage counseling, we have uh, pre-marriage counseling, all these things to equip you to get the degree you need to get married because you're pretty ignorant. And Pastor Tom always says, oh, if only I would know now what I knew then. Well, you can know now what we know now that we didn't know then. And you can start out right. And he says that to, to encourage you that we have people like Jimmy Evans, people like the, Got, the Gottman Institute. Um, like I said, even though they may not be Christian, we have people like uh, Dr. Miles Monroe who has a lot of stuff on marriage. And we have things that can help you. So we want you to seek this help. But I want you to watch this first. We know a lot of times when we're dating, what we think that we're doing is trying to find someone that's like us. And compatibility is very important, but compatibility is not based on sameness. You're never going to marry someone like you. It's impossible because you're too unique. But sometimes, you know, you go online and maybe in online dating is great if you do it properly, but you may match in every category, but that doesn't mean you're the same. You're very different and we must be different because we need each other. If I could meet my own needs, I wouldn't get married. The reason that we get married is because there's something missing in me and I need a different brain. I need a different set of eyes. I need a person who can give what I can't give. So sometimes we think, yeah, I'm trying to find somebody like me but then we get married and we find out how different we are. And then we begin to attack that. What, we, what attracted us in the first place, now we begin to attack. And here's what you need to understand. In your differences in marriage, you celebrate those differences. Don't reject those differences. You don't just tolerate those differences. When my wife and I first got married, I just, I thought she's beautiful, but she's weird. And I rejected her. I, I said things that hurt her. Today, we're not that way. Because what I realize is God gave her as a gift to me and God gave me as a gift to her because we complement each other. Marriage works like this. It doesn't work like this. It works like this. Compliment your spouse. You need them. They're, they're a different set of ears, a different set of eyes. They're the other half of the brain. And when you complement each other and see your need for each other, man, it just makes your marriage fantastic. So just appreciate your spouse and celebrate them. Don't roll your eyes. Don't criticize them, that just wounds them. Let, let your spouse know how much you need them and how much you appreciate their differences. And I'll tell you, it'll take your marriage to the next level.
Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.